0: Hi, welcome everyone. I'm Martin Kuppinger. I'm Principal Analyst at Kupinger Call Analysts. And I'm here with Anders Askelsen of Okta. And we will t- talk today about lessons we can take from the financial services industry and com- on compliance and MFA. And we will talk about this in a specific context, which is Dora and this I'll talk about this in a minute, but first, welcome Anders.
1: Thank you so much, Martin. Thank you for having me.
0: Okay. Um, I talked about a title and it's about MFA. It's about what is needed in MFA and strong authentication for compliance reasons. And we are talking about DORA, the Digital Operational Resilience Act, which is upcoming, um, which will be relevant for the financial services industry, um, and which will be relevant, I think, for next year on. And on this too, so the, our EU critical infrastructure, uh, cybersecurity regulation. And so, Anders, when you look at these re- regulations, why do we need to talk about MFA in that context?
1: Well, first of all, with these two regulations, uh, banks, as we know, have always had a certain level of maturity. They've been pressured from credit card providers, from, from customers, from regulators, etc. cetera. So they have a good solid security resilience already. But um, many banks don't necessarily have the appropriate MFA, um, and that's something that is being addressed by the European Union through the SCA and PSD2 as well. So there's, there's room for improvement there.
0: Yeah, and, and I, that's what was what I would have brought up. Uh, in the finance industry, we had PSD2, so the Payment Services Directive, the revised one, that's where number two comes from. Uh, a couple of years ago, which introduced the SCA the strong customer authentication piece, and sort of raised the bar in that space. Um, so when when you're saying there's something, there's experience, and I think without any doubt there is experience, but you also say this may not be good enough anymore.
1: So why? So exactly. So, um, I mean, if we look at that from, from a couple of different angles, MFA is not a silver bullet to solve all authentication problems. Uh, it is a good mechanism to step up the authentication and have higher assurance. But it's just that higher assurance that is critical for the banks to achieve. And and that uh, forces them into reviewing their current investments and their current infrastructure and making sure that they actually comply with this and, and they can avoid things like MFA fatigue that we've seen big corporations being subject to you. You get a, a notification, and you, you get it over and over and over again until you accidentally click approve. And that's a problem. Uh, and there's, there's several mechanisms to get around this, but you also need to take the contextual aspect around where a transaction occurs, how it occurs, what time zone, what IP address, et cetera. So all these aspects is important to weigh in. Um, and when it comes to MFA solutions, if you're using a traditional MSS, SMS uh, with an OTP or not even an OTP, uh, that is a subject to to some problems. You can you can still intercept that SMS. You can use that to hack.
0: Yeah. Um, so w- what you're saying is at the end, there's there are two aspects. The one is um, we need really good MFA, really strong MFA, and as we all know. Over time, some of the methods which have been established um, become outdated, Become uh, are perceived as being not secure enough anymore, like um, uh, out-of-band SMS, for instance, which is truly not the the number one uh, approach anymore. It's not the gold standard anymore. And on the other hand, what you're saying is there's the context, all the stuff around um, the authentication. So authentication is just a piece of it. But we need to understand, um, is this really Martin? Can that be Martin? If he has been in Germany five minutes ago, and right now he is in whichever other country. And are these usual tr- common transactions Martin is, is doing? So um, what are at the end saying is we need stronger MFA and we need the context. So what could stronger MFA be?
1: So you need that type of intelligence behind it to evaluate the actual risk score. And if there's a transaction that you, Morton is taking, uh, is that a normal transaction for you? Or is there something that would necessarily raise the risk level of that transaction? If it's a 50 euro transaction that you do once a month, well, then maybe it's fine. But if it's all of a sudden 50,000 euros, well, maybe that raises the bar and raises some flags. And, and you know, there's everything in between. And you need to be able to intelligently be able to assess that risk and act accordingly. And maybe step up the, the authentication at appropriate times and during the, these kinds of actions. What,
0: what banks frequently do nowadays, um, where they uh, sort of request, for instance, that you, you first manually raise your limit for a transaction before you can perform that, that higher value transaction. So today we, we want to look at what can others learn? What are lessons others can learn? And so on the one hand, there's DORA, which is banks. Um, and this affects a lot of lot of aspects well beyond uh, the authentication. On the other hand, there's NIST 2. And NIST 2 affects a very wide range of organizations uh, so not only enterprises but also governmental organizations etc so what can they concretely learn from financial services
1: so like like we said in the beginning the financial services sector has pioneered a lot of these initiatives and they've been subject to a lot of regulatory requirements now what what can we learn when it comes to nist2 nist2 applies to as you say martin a, a much wider set of organizations that that are classified as critical infrastructure or critical service providers. And that includes everything from like waste management companies to banks. Uh, And there are lessons to be learned from from the banks here. Um, If, for example, an MFA is a a strong uh, requirement going down with NIST 2 to be able to maintain a certain cyber hygiene. But if you make MFA voluntarily, Studies have shown that only 68% will actually implement and use it, which is a very low number. Uh, So you need to make sure that it's enforced. Uh, And it's enforced based on this intelligence that we just talked about. If there's a Mm -hmm. transaction or an action that you're doing that you actually step up the authentication.
0: So so what you're saying at the end is, we have the technology for um, a strong MFA. We also have the technology for easily um, using a range of different authentication mechanisms. So it's not that we say we opt only for that one. We, we are very flexible, very versatile on that. And we have the ability to use the context and analyze the context to um, understand what are the concrete risk of an authentication or transaction is. And at the end, the message I, I would translate as: all this is available, all this is proof, it's proven in the finance industry and is ready to use. So if you're an organization that falls under the scope of NIST 2 and these are really many organizations, more or less every every manufacturing organization is, I think, above 250 employees or something like that, uh, latest is in there. So it, it's really a lot of organizations, the technologies there make use
1: out of it. But but there's 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 three dimensions to cybersecurity, right? The technology is available; it's on the market. You can procure it, you can implement it, and you can have a good good safety net when it comes to stepped up and higher assurance authentication. But it's also the the processes in place and the the awareness, the people, the people dimension. People need to be trained. They need to be make sure that they understand how to catch these MFA fatigue attacks, for example, and be able to report that back to IT operations. Uh, and the same goes for the processes as well, where you can define this.
0: Yeah, but I think that's again something where, where technology, in some way, plays now into our hands. So, so when I look at, at modern authentication, um, then we have a, a lot of approaches which are more and more going passwordless, which build on on the the ability to store. Uh, sensitive information to store secrets in a secure element on the hardware to have a user to device binding. And then finally do what I think is one of the most important things that balancing security and convenience, so the one going up, the other down, but combining security and
1: convenience. Yeah, and, and that's also something that we need to take into account when we're looking at these initiatives, the convenience aspects, because when you do introduce additional factors, a second factor, or even a third factor, you're introducing a hassle for the end user, and and that's where you increase the friction and you make it difficult for the user. So there's always a balance when you're trying to enforce this type of, of technologies. But we
0: have the technology. That's what I see. You know, take, taking taking um, you, you you have a vast list of different authenticators. Absolutely, you, you are supporting. So I can give I can give a choice. I can give even the individual. A choice because most of us are using multiple devices and we may use different things with different devices what is most convenient but yet secure enough and I think th- this is the, the huge advantage I think we have gained over the past few years that, that we are way more flexible and to in, in achieving a convenient way of multi-factor authentication and maybe this is also a very important takeaway for, for everyone that we, we, we must not dictate which type of authentication to use, but give choices. Maybe this is also even a lesson for the finance industry to learn, because when I look at most uh, online banking approaches, they they are still um, not open in the way you authenticate.
1: You you're absolutely right. It it is about reducing that friction, but having the the safety net in place. You mentioned something about storing information and we all remember the days when GDPR got introduced and, and there was a, a big uh, a big reporting mechanism around it. The same applies to NIST2 and, and Dora and it, but it's different authorities typically where this information, if there is a breach, need to be reported to. And that's also something that needs to be taken into account. So having a platform like Okta's, for example, where you can quickly and easily gather this information and provide that to the authorities or auditors is is also crucial. And that's another lesson that we can take from, from the financial sector.
0: Yeah, and, and we all know that the, the time organizations have to report on breaches is very short. So you need to be prepared and you need to have a plan and you need to have the technology and the process in place because otherwise uh, you will just fail with that requirement of reporting in a, a very short period of time um, to to remain compliant. Um, also, that's something I, I would definitely take as a point. And yes, I think there there's a lot you can learn from the financial services industry. But what I also would add is it's also important to say, um, look at the technical opportunities today, because as I've already said, there there's more than most of the financial services have implemented. So there's um, technology, so to speak, is already ahead of the common typical financial services authentication approach. But financial services also prove, yes, we can do a secure MFA and it works for the people.
1: No, absolutely. You're you're spot on there, Martin. Uh, when when you describe this, uh, and it's definitely something in the light of NIST two, and in the light of what's happening when when a lot larger set of organizations are being regulated to stand up to a better cyber resilience, be able to look at these lessons and learn from them because it, it is important. It is absolutely yeah. important. So so when when you need to to, to close up,
0: uh, when you would need to give sort of one one important advice to everyone in this context, in the context of this conversation, what would be your, your main advice?
1: So my main advice is really to look at security from three angles, and that's the people, processes, and, and technology. The technology, as we've discussed, it's available. It's it's state-of-the-art solutions that have built-in intelligence to pick up. But you need to make sure that your staff is trained, that your users are trained, whether they're consumers or, or workforce, and that you have the necessary processes in place if something happens. You need to assume that something will happen and how do you deal with that in the most urgent and prompt way. And having all those bits and pieces in place will uh, guarantee that you will be able to be compliant and can avoid big fines uh, from from regulators. Thank you, Anders,
0: for all that information you've provided. and um, To all the uh, people listening to this talk, maybe one more advice look at this to look at DORA now and not when it's already too late. You need to prepare now for these regulations so that you really can find the right solution. For and, your on
1: that, and on that note, Martin, um, a one lesson learned from when India introduced a similar to 3D Secure. Overnight, 25% of business disappeared because they were not prepared. So you're absolutely spot on. Thank you so much for having me, Martin. Thank you.